As we sang that song, I was thinking, some of you maybe uh, have come in this morning um, wondering how we could sing about God's goodness and uh, maybe feeling whatever emotions or thoughts you might have about that. And the reason that we sing about God being so good is that we who are in Christ know that um, in reality, we're, we're pretty messed up. Um, we are a disaster left to ourselves, um, a train wreck. Um, I often say. That's who we are. And yet we can sing that we are healed. We are anointed. We are highly favored. We are all those things. In the midst of the reality, the very clear, if you know us, we're not anything special. We don't have all that much to offer. But we are all those things also because of Christ. And that's why we sing of His goodness. That's why we declare that He is good. And so if you're here and you um, are just sort of watching in and wondering what it is that uh, a Christian believes or why we do the things that we do, um, I want you to know that we um, don't elevate ourselves or don't see ourselves as uh, having it all figured out. Um, we don't see ourselves um, as perfect. Uh, we, are, we see ourselves as sinners who have been saved have been redeemed, have been anointed, have been healed, have been called, all by the blood of Jesus. That's who Jesus is. And so that's why we sing and declare that He is good, because we are undeserving of His grace. And what a joy to be able to gather and worship Him in that way. Let me pray. Father Heaven, I thank You that Your Word is true. What we sang about, rooted, just sort of interpreting your holy word about who we are is true. I thank you that in spite of my sins, in spite of the reality of knowing who I am deep in my soul, I know the brokenness that exists in my heart, and yet you call me a son of the Most High God. You have declared me to be righteous. That is an unbelievable truth. So I pray that Every believer in this room would just, in this moment, this morning, in this time together, we would just find ourselves in awe, just, just find our hearts worshiping you as we recognize the discrepancy between um, what we deserve and what we have received in you. And at the same time, Father, I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't know the joy of being called a son or a daughter of the Most High God, doesn't know what it means to be able to acknowledge those seemingly opposite truths that we are sinful, we are deserving of death, your wrath, and yet you have adopted us. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in this place so that anyone who is far off from you this morning might know today, might believe today, might receive faith enough today to know that you are good, Father. I pray that we would leave here this morning all more reminded, more in love with you as we uh, realize how good you are. Help us to that end, Lord. Help the word to do its work, what you intend it to do. Help me to move out of the way. I pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. It's great to see everyone, to be with you. 
gathered together in worship. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Parks Church, and I'm so glad uh, to be with you this morning. Um, two things I want to uh, just uh, note for you. Um, I, I Technical, uh, obviously, didn't have the addresses of those slides of where our community nights are going to be uh, tonight, so we don't want that to cause you to miss out on community night. And so they didn't realize this, um, but uh, the Freelands and the Kirkoffs are going to be at the back table right after service, so you can meet them and you can put a face with a name, and they can give you their addresses and tell you where to join them tonight uh, at 5 o'clock. And again, please come and, and just have some fellowship time. Uh, I think... Um, and if I'm wrong about this, then you can be mad at Kyle after he gets back from having his baby. So, um, but I think we're going to have tacos tonight. I think that's some food that's going to be served. So um, that, get excited about taco night. I know it's not Tuesday, it's Sunday, but you can still have tacos. And uh, so come tonight to community night and just fellowship with one another, meet some new friends, hang out together. Um, the other thing I wanted to just note for you or just say a, a word of thanks and encourage you. Last night our community had uh, one of our community events for our Education Foundation and uh, Zach, uh, our faithful uh, sound board technician, operator, engineer in the back, came up. Um, a special time just to lead and be a part of that to help make sure that all the kids had all the audio needs. So we set up church last night so they could use this space. And some of you were here for that. But anyway, just want to uh, say a word of appreciation to Zach. We say that we are here, a, a community of people loving our city uh, because of the person Jesus Christ. And so his sacrifice and gift to us was to come and help make that happen. So we just wanted to publicly thank you, Zach. And so we continue in our study of Daniel chapter 3, and I know some of you are thinking, well, Nicole read from Luke, so what's going on here? You got a little nervous thinking that we were getting out of uh, Daniel. You had read Daniel chapter 3 in preparation for this morning, I'm sure. And so um, you thought, okay, where's she going? Some of you are laughing, you realize that. No, we are in Daniel chapter 3, but one of the things that this passage in Daniel chapter 3 that we're going to see is that, that it, it, it gets to the heart of an issue a heart of a real issue that I think we all face, and that's the issue of fear. Um, some of you, uh, like me, uh, might remember uh, one of the great all-time movies, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, and some of you are too young to remember that, so I'm going to give you a little synopsis. And unfortunately, PG-13 is now rated R, so I can't really recommend it any longer. But anyway, um, it's a great movie from my childhood or my youth days, not really my childhood. And, and in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Ferris, this guy, he decides he needs to go and uh, just kind of figure himself out, decides he wants to take the day off from school. Kids, I know it sounds really appealing. And, and one of the, my favorite scenes, though, is it is a little bit of, it's, it's a comedy, but it also has some drama to it, just some real life, is these... Uh, Ferris and his friend Cameron are, um, they're just, they've all decided to skip school, but Cameron is, is paralyzed by fear of his father. He's paralyzed. And so Ferris, though, sees his father's prized possession, his Ferrari convertible, and convinces Cameron against all of Cameron's, you know, desires and pushbacks that they're going to take the Ferrari out for their day off from school. And they have Ferris, of course, and this doesn't make any sense in our modern minds, but we didn't catch this when we were kids. Uh, they say, well, he says, we'll just run it in reverse to take the mileage off so your dad will never know. And so later on in the movie, they bring the car back, they prop it up on something, they put it in reverse. And in that moment, Cameron just realizes that his life has just been really just completely consumed and, and, and everything he's done has been a result of fear of his father. And so he starts beating up on his dad's car, and ultimately the car 
gets, you know, knocks down off of its, uh, its little elevator thing, goes out of the garage, it's a big disaster. But one of the lines that Cameron says is that in, in this speech that he's giving as he's beating up his dad's car, he says, I'm just tired of being afraid. How many of us, that's our heart, and we might not say it in those words, but if you peel back the onion on some of the challenges that we face, if you peel back the onion on some of the actions that we do, if you say, why do we find ourselves tempted to follow along with the world and all of the things that the world has to offer, really it's just a matter of fear, and in so many of us we're just tired of being afraid. You know, fear is something that, that plagues us. I think it plagues us all. And I bet we would probably could echo Cameron's words when he says, I'm just tired of being afraid. But why do we fear? What's the source of our fear? I believe that our fear most of the time is because we don't have a proper lens. Now there is a healthy fear, by the way. Jesus in that chapter, the, the passage that Nicole read for us, talks about fear in a reverent word. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But I'm talking about the fear that paralyzes us. I'm talking about the fear that, that causes us to forget who God is and forget who we are in Christ and forget the calling on our lives. Most of it is because we don't have a wide enough lens. Most of us go throughout life, I believe, and we sort of see the world and we operate in the world as if we're looking at the world through the lens of a rifle scope. And if you've ever looked at the world through the lens of a rifle scope, you'll know that you see just a little bit. Now that little bit of the world seems is, is, is in focus. It perhaps is more in focus than anything, any other time when you're just sort of looking. And so as we walk, walk, walk through life and sort of do all the things that we do, it might seem as if we're seeing things clearly. But we have forgotten, we've missed the reality is that we're still seeing the world through this rifle lens and we don't see the whole picture. And when we see the world through the, a rifle lens or see this just sort of small version, this limited scope of the world, it can consume us. Imagine you look through the rifle scope and you're looking at a bear. That's all you see is the bear. If you're looking through, because it's, it's narrowed in, it's focused just on that. When we come to trials and pain and suffering and all of the things that are very real aspects of this life, the challenges that we face, we look at them, we see them through that small scope, and all that we see through that is whatever is in front of us because we don't have the bigger picture. We can't see the surroundings. We don't have the whole field of view. And so one of the things that I pray this morning is that our field of view might be opened up. We might take our eyes off to be able to see the whole picture. If you're tired of being afraid, the only antidote for fear is faith. Greater faith. Fear causes us to forget God and forget His commands. Fear causes us to forget who's in charge, who is sovereign. And so faith is the opposite of that. Faith, as one commentator said, faith is obedience to God's sovereign commands. Faith allows us to remember the commands and obey the commands, not to forget as fear drives us to do. Secondly, faith allows us to trust in the sovereign's will. 
Fear causes us to forget that there is something bigger than us. Forget who's in charge. But faith reminds us, helps us to remember and trust in the sovereign's will. And we've talked about the sovereign as we began Daniel chapter 3, or, or the study in, in, in this whole book of Daniel. For those who haven't been with us, let me just recap briefly, just so you can kind of catch up. And I do take this time every week to remind you that if you're new with us, or if you've missed out on some of the, uh, the messages, you can go to our website, you can find our podcast, you can listen to the sermons online there, the parkschurchmelissa.com is where you can find those. But just as a quick recap, in chapter 1 we see God give the Israelites, as they are in their own nation, give the Israelites over to King Nebuchadnezzar, this evil king, and and he's perceived as evil because he's going and just taking over the world and doing all these things and taking people into captivity. He takes the Israelites into captivity and brings a number of them back to Babylon. And over and over again in chapter 1, it says that God did this. It's that God allowed these things, just as a reminder to God's people as we read this story, that this wasn't just the acts of some man, but it's God in his sovereignty allowed these things to happen. Yes, even bad and hard things to God's people as they were drawn out into exile. Daniel and a few of his buddies are brought into the king's court and they're commanded to eat and do some of the things that the king wanted them to do. But they exercised some faith in that moment and that the Lord rewarded that. And they were placed in high positions of authority in the king's court, even as these young teenagers King Nebuchadnezzar, this king that's brought the Israelites into Babylon, taking them into captivity, he starts to have these nightmares or dreams. And so he demands or commi- that all of his kind of wizards, the wise men of his, of his court, would come and tell him, tell me what I've been dreaming, tell me what it is, and, and give me an interpretation. And of course, none of his wise men can do that. They rightly say in chapter 2, no man can do that. <laughs> There's not, that's not humanly possible. And then Daniel steps in, empowered by God. God gives Daniel clarity, tells Daniel what it is that King Nebuchadnezzar was dreaming, and gives him the interpretation. And so last week, as we walked our way through that, we saw Daniel share this with King Nebuchadnezzar. All of this under the sovereign hand of God. And the dream tells of the future. The dream tells of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom being this head of gold, but it will ultimately be knocked down and there is another kingdom that will replace it and another kingdom will replace that one one day and on and on and on it goes. These kingdoms will rise and fall, come and go. I saw this week some of our world history students, I think, did some reviews of the many kingdoms that have come and gone in the history of our world and that will continue to go on and on and on until the final kingdom, the kingdom of God, which Jesus came to establish when he began his ministry, Establish the kingdom of God. There is a stone not cut by any human hand, Daniel tells. And that stone will establish the kingdom of God forever. The one kingdom that will last forever. And and chapter 2 ends after Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar of all this dream and everything that's going to happen to him. Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face and pays homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering of incense be offered up to him. Now just so it's clear, Dan, in that moment, King Nebuchadnezzar is not worshiping God. He is wor- worshiping Daniel and attributing some glory to Daniel's God that is clear that his God is at work in his life. And so now we come to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, in the first seven verses, it describes this story of King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six six cubits. 
And he set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And so King Nebuchadnezzar makes this statue, this giant nine-story statue made of gold. Now there's a little bit of, of, of kind of differences of opinion on exactly why he would have done this. Right after he acknowledges Daniel's God as God, he then makes this statue. And some think, well, the statue in his dream was a head, made of, had a head of gold that represented Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. He decided to erect an entire statue made of gold to himself. Others think perhaps that the leaders of sort of the non-Hebrew people that were in Nebuchadnezzar's court were tempting him and saying, and they were jealous of Daniel and, you know, all of his friends, the Hebrews that were there. And they said, hey, we'll do this. We'll have him make a statue. We know their law will prevent them from worshiping him and we'll be able to rid ourselves of Daniel and his little group. Because guess what Daniel had done in chapter 2? Made them look like fools. Because they didn't worship the one true God. They did not have the wisdom of God. And so anyhow, and for whatever reason, Nebuchadnezzar erects this statue. And he commands that everyone fall and worship at this statue. I'm going to pick up in verse 8. Therefore, at the time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. This is after the statue has been erected. The worship has been commanded. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. They're kissing up there, by the way. O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Here's where the jealousy comes in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They deny. They would not fall and worship the, this golden image. See, faith, as I said, it gives us the strength to obey the commands. Rather than fear, faith allows us to obey God's sovereign commands. And these three young men have decided that they will obey God's sovereign commands. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 and 5. The first and second commandments say that there should be no other idols. They're going to listen to, these, to God's commandments. And, and now as they stand in the midst of the fiery furnace, they know what potentially is in front of them. They determine that they are going to obey God. They're going to listen to God's commands. They have enough faith to trust and believe and obey God. Now it's easy in the midst of knowing God's commands, knowing God's instructions of our lives to really justify anything else, doing anything but obeying Him. Think about what these friends could have said. They, they certainly could have said, God wouldn't want us to die for this. And we'll, we'll give in this one time. It's not a big deal. He surely wouldn't want us to be led to our deaths over worshiping this idol. Or maybe they might say, you know, these Babylonians they, Babylonians, they don't really understand our laws. They don't understand God. And so I don't want to offend them. And so rather than offend them, we'll just sort of give in. But we'll know in our hearts the law of God. Because I would rather not obey God than offend someone else. Or surely God will forgive us. Even if we disobey God's 
right command, God's law. He'll forgive us. We've received grace. Obviously, this is a misunderstanding of grace when we use this justification, but these are the types of things that we say. Others would say, well, what we'll do is we'll bow down and worship. We'll act as if we're worshiping, but we'll close our eyes, and in our hearts, we'll really be worshiping God. We can come up with any number of justifications. We can sort of capitulate in any number of ways. But these young men, rather than trying to justify any level of disobedience, they stood firm. You know, we so often, when we're faced with pressure, things that push back against our faith, push back against being faithfully obedient to God's commands on our life, we fail. These guys were obviously dealing with the first and second commandments, as I reference. Fourth commandment says to keep the Sabbath holy. How often we capitulate. Sixth commandment says that we shall not murder. And Jesus explained in his teaching on this commandment that even having anger or hatred for another is the same of murder. How often do we walk around justifying, well, they did this, they did that. If I don't do this, if I don't go here, if I don't participate, this is what will happen. Justification after justification. Seventh commandment says we shall not commit adultery. And Jesus again teaching says even if you've ever even had lust in your eyes, then you have committed adultery. How often do we justify it won't hurt to look just one time. It won't hurt to give in just in this small way. I'm just having a conversation here. I'm not really lusting. We take these little small steps and we can justify all sorts and manner of disobedience because our sinful hearts lead us to do that. It takes great faith to stand firm and say, I will obey God's commands and I will trust that He is good and that His commands are good. True faith is obedience, not compromise. In our men's and women's Bible study, we've been working our way through Hebrew, and we're coming nearer to the end of Hebrew. In chapter 11, verse 8, this kind of um, uh, hall of fame, if you will, of faithful men and women, it says in 11, verse 8, By faith Abraham, when called, he obeyed and went. True faith. It says that by faith, when Abraham was called, he obeyed and went. His, his faith was on display in his, his obedience. It takes great faith to obey. Faith that God's ways are better and higher than our ways. That's why one of our favorite proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Too often when we're faced, as these three young men were faced with worshiping this idol and the command to bow down and worship the idol, we forget and we lean on our own understanding. And guess what our own understanding causes us to do? To justify any manner of disobedience. And we'll always justify disobedience and we'll do it in just such a small way. If we, I'll just shift just a little bit. I won't go all the way. I'll, I'll just kind of put my toe in the water of this and that'll get me through. No, true faith. And the way to strike out fear is to have faith to believe that God's ways are higher than our ways and to obey. Secondly, faith is not just obeying, but it's also trusting. So we obey in faith, 
But in verse 16 and through 18, we see the picture of sort of the results of what happens to these young men. Let me read for us. Shadrach, so I'm skipping down from verse 12 after Nebuchadnezzar, he's been enraged. He's lit the fiery furnace to 10 times its normal heat. Uh, you know, the people, the guys that are lighting the fire, they're burning up themselves because he's so angry over this. And so then in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after he asked them, are you going to now bow down and worship me or worship my idol? Because if you don't, that's where you're headed. This is what's coming for you. You're going to be tossed into this fiery furnace. And this is what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But if not, if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up for us. So they say, in faith, we know that our God can deliver us from this fiery furnace. And guess what? If not, we're okay with that too. That's not the answer that I often give. That's not the answer that comes from trusting in my own ways. That's an answer that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. That's an answer that comes from great faith in trusting God's sovereign will. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I'd, I'd encourage you. I'd challenge you. The next time you face this temptation to disobey, this temptation to fall whatever and worship the idol that whatever this world puts before you, perhaps there's some friends that are coming around you and saying, hey, what about this? Let's do this or that. Students, I'm thinking of so many times that I know, and I don't belittle you in this, I know the challenges that you face to stand, that you face to stand firm in your faith. But imagine if we were able to say, I have no need to answer you in this matter. Satan, I have no need to answer you in this matter because my faith has already been declared. It's already been decided what I'm going to do. I don't have to even speak to you about this issue because I already know what the answer is. And the answer is, if there's a consequence to, to be faced for not following the ways of this world. My God has the power to deliver me and carry me through that. And if not, I'm okay with that too because he is sovereign and he is good. That is where we see faith. We see faith in action. The king had said one thing. This earthly small king had said one thing, but the sovereign Lord of the universe, the king who had put the sun in the sky that morning, the king that even created the molecules that allowed a fire to burn, had said something else. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had decided already where their faith was. Their faith was in the sovereign God, His will. You know, in the great battle for civil rights, the federal government had passed anti-segregation laws, but the states, in many of the southern states, they had pushed back against those laws. They didn't want to give in, and that's why there was so much conflict that we saw in the early 60s. The federal government had passed this law, and the, uh, the smaller governments had other laws. This is what was going on here. Sh uh, the, the King Nebuchadnezzar, the small king, the small god, had established a law, but there was a greater law. 
There was a law that overrode anything that he could or would say. And that law said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship an idol. And so they had determined that they were going to obey. This picture of faith is a faith in trust. It's faith that leads to trust. See, biblical faith, it gives us the assurance to say, I know my God is able. Biblical faith gives us the confidence to say, I believe my God will. Biblical faith gives us also, though, the ability to submit and say, but even if he does not, I will still trust him. We like those first two. I know my God is able. And the confidence to say, I believe that my God will. It's much harder to have the faith that says, but even if he doesn't, I will still trust him. That's a deeper level of faith. Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will find my hope in him. Though he slay me. Guess what Job dealt with? He lost everything. He lost his wife. He lost his kids. He lost his possessions. He lost everything. And he still had faith. He trusted in God. You know, we love to think and maybe sometimes even speak of faith that says, I know and believe. But to trust is a greater faith. Now let me, as I speak about this, just clarify a little bit. Real faith is not a genie in a bottle or, or some lucky rabbit's foot. We don't just kind of hold on to faith and then it gets us whatever we want. Real faith is belief that God's ways are truly higher than our ways. That when we see life again through that rifle scope, that there's a sovereign who sees all, who knows all. And he knows and sees all, guess what? He knows and sees it all for all time. See, we mess up when we begin to think that our faith is what directs God's will. The reason that we have a hard time with that third one to say, but if not, I will still trust him, is because we believe that if we exercise enough faith, that our faith will then direct God's will. That's out of order. That's backwards. Jesus said in John 19, or excuse me, 15, verse 70, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. See, we think too often that if we believe, then God will respond. And what we need to remember is that God's will should direct and control our faith. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you're in my will, then you will have the faith to believe and ask whatever it is, to trust. Jesus dealt with this in the garden. Some of you remember as he's praying before the crucifixion, he says, Father, if there's another way, take this cup from me. But how does he end that? But not my will, but yours be done. Faith is trusting God's will for your life over your own. And these three men, the story of their lives, they were thrown into the furnace because they chose to trust in God's sovereign will. Had Paul been around, he would have probably seen this and written, to live as Christ, to die as gain. They trusted God's sovereign will. They trusted that God could choose to deliver them, 
They trusted that God had the power to deliver them, but they also trusted that if he didn't deliver them, that they would still be okay because God is good. As I was studying this, I couldn't help but think about my mom. My mom, as she was in the hospital battling cancer, Every time I see her, she would say those first two things. I know that God can heal me. I know that he has the power to heal me. She believed that he, she would be healed. He didn't heal her. And guess what? She's now enjoying the fruit of that faith. Because he's good. And I have joy in spite of any amount of sadness because I know he's good and I trust his will. I trust that he is sovereign. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't have to make sense. It didn't make sense for these young men to be thrown into a fiery furnace. But they trusted God's will. This is faith. And what we know to be true is that all the while as we walk through this life, we have Jesus with us. He has promised that he will never leave or forsake us. Notice as this story goes on, Nebuchadnezzar in verse 24, he's astonished as he looks. The men have been thrown into the fire because they did not capitulate. They were obedient to God. They trusted God's will. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God's. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, and the prefects, and the governors, and the kings, and the counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not, uh, had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their clothes was not harmed, no smell of fire came upon them. Back to what Nicole read for us in Luke chapter 12. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more to say. But I'll warn you to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. That's God. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Meaning they're worthless to the world. And not one of them is forgotten by God. Verse 7, why even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their hairs were not singed, it said. They had no smell of fire. There was nothing about them that looked as if they had been burned or hurt in any way. There was someone with them. Now it's argued that perhaps that was Jesus. It's more than likely. No, that was an angel. An angel of God, surely, that was with them. But that angel pointed to the one who would come and would be with us forever. And that's Jesus. Jesus, the angel, is a type of Christ. And he points us to Christ. The angel was there with the friends in their midst. And he helped them and he caused them to persevere. He helped them persevere through that. We, just as there was the contrast between the five sparrows that are worthless, we have Christ. He is with us. His Holy Spirit fills us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so his presence with us gives us the faith. Faith to believe. Faith to obey. 
and faith to trust in the sovereign hand of God. That's why we worship Jesus. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Remember that from a kid? Some of you might. Trust and obey Jesus. That's what real faith looks like. That's how we demonstrate faith. And if we want to walk with God and we want to be rid of the fear, we want to be able to sing that song that we so often sing in church, I'm no longer a slave to fear, is to have faith. Faith in God. Faith that His ways are higher than our ways. What a great thing to remember. And as we remember, we're going to receive communion this morning. And so here's what we're going to, going to do in just a moment. I'm going to pray in a moment. And after I pray, the worship team is going to lead us. And as they're singing, this is sort of, for those of you that are new, kind of our process of receiving communion. As they're singing, um, you might want to sit and just pray and just really reflect on what God, the Holy Spirit, I pray, has spoken to you in this time together. Maybe think about some of the fears that you live with and ask the Holy Spirit of God to help you to rid yourself of those fears, to have greater trust in God, to have the faith that would lead to deeper obedience. Or you want to stand and you want to just worship God as you just reflect on that and you sing to Him. But as they are singing and we are singing, uh, the table will be open. So just as the Spirit leads, then you come and you can receive communion. We have bread and juice in the front. We also have two tables in the back. Um, if you need gluten-free, we have a small bowl of gluten-free bread right up here at the front for anyone who needs that. Um, but you just come and, and take it and then go back to your seats. And after you go back to your seats, um, we'll take communion together. And we'll receive that. I want to remind us of what Paul says about this time in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Let each person examine himself, and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. This is what this is saying. This time of communion is a time of remembering the sacrifice of Christ, what He has done on our behalf. And that word remembrance is really critical because there are some of us in this room that we recall a time when we put our faith in Jesus and His work on the cross on our behalf for all time. And that's where our faith rests. And that's the faith that leads us to obedience. But perhaps you're in this room and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never trusted Him as your Lord and Savior. Well, in this moment, what the Scripture instructs us to do is examine your heart. And as you examine your heart... Allow God to call you to repentance, to confess your sins before Him, and perhaps receive faith. To put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so as I pray and as we sing and um, begin to proceed to the table, I just want to invite you, if you don't know Jesus this morning, take this time. Don't even necessarily worry about the communion because this isn't a moment of remembrance for you. But take this time and ask God to give you faith, to believe. And perhaps today will be the day of salvation. And you'll, you'll write and you'll tell stories a year, two, three years down the line. And you'll say, I attended this church. And the pastor instructed us before we took communion to 
repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus. And that was the day when I put my faith in Jesus. And that will be a day of rejoicing and glory in your life and in all of the saints who worship with us. Believe today. But if not, if you are a, today a believer and you're remembering back, think back upon that time when you were given the gift of faith. And let that time as you remember that strengthen you, embolden you to live with greater obedience. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, I do thank you. I thank you for the gift of faith. Faith that allows us to stand up against all of the temptations of this world. Faith that allows us to be obedient to your commands. Commands that were given to us for our good. Not to, to make us feel righteous or, or so that we could tout our own holiness amongst our friends, but, but commands and laws and rules, instructions, even things that you, you speak to us in our hearts as your Holy Spirit you know, moves. You, you, you do all of that instructing so that we can have greater joy and ultimately so we can bring more glory to your name. And so I thank you for that. I pray that you would increase our faith. I also pray that you would increase our faith to trust. Lord, would you help us to kind of pull back from that rifle lens and see that you are bigger than whatever hardship is kind of at the center of that scope in our lives this morning. You're bigger than that. So help us to see your hand at work in our lives. And I pray right now, in Jesus' name, if there's any soul in this room that does not have that faith to trust, to know that you are good, that Jesus, you went to the cross and shed your own body, your blood, so that we might be, de be declared your righteousness, Holy Spirit, move and, and allow us to receive faith today. And for those of us who have been walking with you, Jesus, as our Savior, you've been in our midst. We, we acknowledge you as God with us, just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that angel with them. I pray that you would increase our faith this time as we remember your sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. Jesus, we love you. Give us more faith, greater faith. Not faith to move you, but faith to trust you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every knee will bow, every eye will see. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.